This is What The Flux. I'm Brett. And I'm Justin. And it's Monday the 10th of May. To all those members of the Flux fam who consider themselves great at posting on Twitter, listen <laughs> up. Twitter is testing a feature where you can earn a tip for a great tweet. Ooh. Now, Justin, could we see some Twitter millionaires emerge? <laughs> that would be great. I'm going to get my mind thinking. Mm. Brett, Donald Trump, remember him? Mm, not quite. Yeah. He's been banned from Facebook and Instagram for another six months. Mm. Yep, the Facebook board said that Trump's repeated posting about voter fraud resulted in a clear and immediate risk of harm. Donny T silenced again. Three loud and about stories today, Justin. Let's do it. For our first. The owner of TV channel Network 10 will launch a new streaming service in Australia this August and 10's all-access streaming platform will get a big, fat (laughs) rebranding. Getting more crowded than the buy-now-pay-later industry, Young (laughs) Streaming. What is the story here? Well, Viacom CBS is the American media giant owner of Network 10 and they want a slice of Australia's streaming market. So their new streaming service will be named Paramount Plus and it's going to have shows from Showtime, MTV, Nickelodeon and plenty of others. We're talking big names like your Dexters, the First Lady, Spongebob. Like it. And what's interesting, Brett, is that 10's Paramount Plus has admitted they don't ever want to be the number one in the market. (laughs) They're like, we have an ambition to be really relevant to the Australian landscape. But we don't see a world in the next year where someone topples Netflix or Disney. (laughs) Yeah, that's what we were taught in school, Justin. Always aim to be number three or number four. The participation award at school carnivals, anyone? (laughs) So what is the key learning here? Although the TV industry is earning more and more of its revenue from streaming subscriptions, advertising continues to be absolutely essential for TV networks. Think about it, Justin. There are a couple of ways consumers pay for the content that they watch. Talk me through them. Well, either we pay with money for subscriptions to, say, streaming services, or we pay with our attention and watch ads. At this stage, advertising money is still a huge part of how TV networks make money. So for companies that own both free-to-air assets like Network 10 and streaming assets like Paramount Plus, the question is, Brett, can they coexist? Ooh, well, Network 10 obviously reckons they can, considering they'll be fighting it out with themselves for the love and attention of mm. Aussie consumers. For our second story, Uber's food delivery business continues to go from strength to strength as demonstrated by the first three months of this year. Interesting developments here, I must say. What is the story? Well, Uber's had a very interesting history since launching around 10 years ago. First, it was the fast-growing Silicon Valley tech darling. Then it was fast-growing Silicon Valley tech devil that had a (laughs) reputation for misogyny. And then it was the public company that continues to struggle to generate a profit. And on that topic, Uber lost a lazy $140 million in the first quarter of this year. But what's interesting is how well the Asia-Pacific region has been doing for Uber compared to everywhere else. What's also interesting, though, is how Uber's food delivery business improved by 166% over the year. Wowie. So what is the key learning here? Uber's two major business units, the rideshare unit and the food delivery unit, they actually complement each other really well. And this has been highlighted by COVID lockdowns over the last year or so. Uber rideshare, bad business during COVID lockdowns. Uber eats, good for business during COVID lockdowns. (laughs) Now, to position itself for continued growth in a post-pandemic world, Uber last week intertwined the ride-hailing app and the delivery business app. That's so it could drive up eats orders as more people take trips. For example, Brett, one feature enables passengers to book and pick up meals while they're en route to somewhere (laughs) in an Uber. Could it be any more convenient? (laughs) We're getting very lazy. For our third and final story, Estee Lauder has seen skincare sales go up, 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 while makeup sales have gone down, 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 which suggests a major change in consumer behavior. Very insightful thinking, Justin. You're onto something here.
here. What is happening with this one? Well, Estee Lauder is the gigantic beauty company that owns brands like MAC, your Bobby Browns, La Mer, and a whole lot of others. And it just so happens that the company's first quarter earnings were beautiful compared to 2020. Get this, Brett. Sales across the board improved by 16%. But the company's share price still dropped when this news came out because the numbers, they were lower than expected. Those greedy investors. <laughs> Sales in Estee Lauder's makeup division dropped across almost all of their brands. But on the other hand, my friend, skincare sales were more than two times that of makeup sales. So what is the key learning here? COVID lockdowns have inspired new consumer behaviours and one of those appears to be around makeup versus skincare. This quarter, skincare has been the star of the show for Estee. Sales jumped 31%. But makeup dropped 11%. But Brett, it ain't just Estee Lauder suffering from low makeup sales. L'Oreal, Estee's nemesis, reported the same. Mm. Now, to put that into context, Justin, in 2018, skincare and makeup sales were about the same. But now, makeup is the only product division that's seen a drop in performance in the last three months. Going from golden goose to total outcast to Flux family members, new and old. If you're enjoying the pod and you want more bite-sized business news, make sure to subscribe or follow to this podcast. Thanks for listening and we'll see you tomorrow.